the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So we will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dunner. Of the Bible Live, I'm John Harrison sitting here with Soapy's daughter. Still no soap, Soapy in the studio, but that's okay. He's, I'm hearing things yeah. are getting better for him. He is. He's gonna. He's uh, going home tomorrow. So yes, yay. <laughs> that yeah. is good news. Yeah. Thank you all so much, everyone who's been just praying for him and visiting and. Uh, oh, we had a good I, a friend of the of the station, Adam McManus. I'm sure is a name that oh, many, many listeners remember will yeah. remember. Adam just um, so encouraging and sent him a really great card. He used to have that so. uh, 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 take a stand afternoon drive afternoon drive yeah, show. That's right. Yeah, take a stand. And I think you can still um, listen a podcast. I think if you search for him, is but, it the uh, same show or is it a different show? Or? I don't think it's called Take a Stand. It's the uh, kind of a worldview, maybe a worldview in a certain. Uh, but it's great. But it's the, ba- very the Adam. same basic. Yeah. If you like Adam. Yes. yes. Then you can tune in there. Yeah. But yes, thank you so much. Um, I guess I'll go ahead and take it. This is uh, Stacy. Yes, so Sophie's daughter. Um, Dad has, let's see, it's probably been almost four weeks. Now, I think this is the fourth, uh, yeah, the fourth Sunday that he's not been with us, at least not in the studio. Uh, hopefully he's able to listen. Hi, Dad, if you are. He had a hemorrhage stroke, and uh, it was really scary. It um yeah, it, it, it did a, little, a number, and he, the right side of his body, his speech is affected, and his, um, you know, his, his right side. But he's getting so strong, he's been able to walk now, and nice. he's going home. Uh, tomorrow was a little tough. This week they had a home visit to just uh, an assessment to see if he needs anything uh, as far as mobility. And Dad got a little bit teary, I think, just being home and... Realizing that once he gets home, it's not going to just all magically come back, at least without the I don't Lord's know if he's like my dad, but my dad was in the hospital the last couple of times. It's like mm. he really wanted to go home. I mean, yes. he really wanted to yes. be home. Dad was happy. He's, uh, he's, but in the last week, yes, he's, he's, I think, a little tired of the hospital food. No offense to the hospital food. It, they've been wonderful, but it's the same thing every day. And I mean, thank the Lord that dad's able to even have food. It was, very uh, in the early stages in the early moments um, they were thinking maybe a feeding tube and so we're just grateful that he's able to eat even and um 
and his speech is, is doing great. He's getting there. So um, just continue prayers. I think the hardest thing, too, though, is um, good old, oh, sweet dad. There can, I don't think, I think it's impossible for dad to be in the same room with a piano and him <laughs> not sit down and play it and sing it. And he, it's it's always, growing up, those are my memories, is just music and him playing. I could pick out his piano playing in a sea of pianist playing. He's just got this certain touch. Very and he's unique, so, very unique, very yes, recognizable. Yes, beautiful, and he's so good. And um, it was a little bit hard. Uh, he, he sat down to play, and there were four nurses uh, at the house, and my mom and I, and it was kind of one of the last things, and he just kind of went over to the piano, and I think he wanted to see what he could do. And he was able to do some... Um, chords and he sang in a in his way yeah. amazing grace and i mean we were all <laughs> in tears it was so precious but of course you know in terms of how it's not nearly what he would love to be able to that, do that's but, appropriate because it seems like god's amazing grace oh, is, yeah. is with him help, yeah. helping him through this yeah yeah it really has been so Anyway, thank you all um, all so much. Thank you for listening. This is... And I see you brought a guest with you today. I'll let you take take it. Yeah, thanks, John, so much. I I did thank you. um, We've got Pastor Novak, Michael Novak here. He is my um, pastor, Trinity Grace Church. Uh, uh, Let's see, about five, I guess it was five years ago. Almost exactly five years ago. Uh, he uh, was called and uh, to plant a church, and it's a PCA church on the northwest side, and so it's right at uh, kind of the 1604 I-10 corridor back there. Um, and he is just a very gifted teacher, and I am a, I, uh, I, I mean, who doesn't enjoy a good teacher? <laughs> but I think I especially. Uh, maybe it's because of you know growing up under my dad's tutelage <laughs> so many years, and I think my dad is just the wisest and the best and and michael is up there i mean he is just and i i know then a couple of months ago if it was maybe even a year ago um dad was not going to be able to do it and we thought oh maybe we could get michael and dad could not have been more thrilled at the idea of maybe having michael novak um come and just talk about god's word and it opened up to scripture um we just michael actually um married me and my husband and uh I, I'm going to say this just because I don't know. I uh, really um, was moved and have been, in terms of just true pastoring and shepherding, as far as uh, Tim Keller is, has been a pastor that I've listened to. I've not ever been in his church congregation, but he's meant a lot to me in his sermons and his pastoring. And, um, and I thought, well, if I can't have... Tim Keller, Mary us. <laughs> Michael Novak is not. <laughs> he is right up there. Oh, and goodness. so um, thank you so much, Michael, yeah. for coming in and for just being willing to do this and and talk with us about yeah. this, I think, kind of difficult book. So this last, we are now um, finishing up the book of Judges. And, uh, and then we read Ruth this week and we started into Luke. And uh, as far as the ending of Judges, I mean, I think this is probably one of the most R-rated sections of all of Scripture. I was telling Michael that I was listening, you know, it's it's uh, read the Bible, mm-hmm. right, of, throughout the week. And so I was listening to it in the car, and I had it on, and my son, who's nine, was in the car. 
And I thought, oh my goodness. You have to turn the volume down. Turn this down. Yeah. uh, You wouldn't think that you'd need to turn the Bible down. But but it's true. So if you don't mind, just kind of open this up. Uh, It's Judges. It's probably, it's one of those books that starts off kind of bad and it just gets gets worse worse and worse. And (laughs) And and, yeah, in fact, that that's one of the purposes of the book. Mm. As you read along, you notice the disintegration relationally, spiritually Mm. of God's people. And that's one of the main thrusts of the book uh, where you notice that. And as you read the last five chapters of the book of Judges, it really ends on an incredibly sobering and depressing note. Mm -hmm. And it's as if God is forcing us to look at the disintegration of his people because we need to see it. Mm -hmm. We need to learn lessons from it. Uh, We have to have our eyes open to the darkness and the evil of humanity Mm -hmm. and the darkness and the evil that lives inside of our own hearts. Mm -hmm. And we can't excuse it or explain it away. Mm And it goes without saying that it can be disheartening and sobering to walk through such disintegration to read about it. I remember when we preached through the book of Judges at Trinity Grace, we needed to send out an email the week before we got to these chapters just to let parents know that we're going to be engaging some material that might be uh, sensitive to younger ears. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what you've got to do with the book of Judges. In fact, um, most of us have likely never heard a sermon from the final five chapters of Judges because it's such an uncomfortable and bleak five chapters in the Bible. But it's in the scriptures for a reason, Mm -hmm. to open our eyes to human depravity and the enemy within. Mm -hmm. But as we read the end of Judges, it should also be encouraging and hopeful for us as we realize that God has not left us, Mm -hmm. that he remains committed and faithful to such a faithless group of people. And, um, you know, the the verse that really encapsulates these final five verses, it's found in the very um, last verse in the book of Judges. It's how the book of Judges ends You wouldn't believe it unless I told you in chapter 21, verse 25, the book of Judges ends by saying, in those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Mm -hmm. Mm. And that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk about bleak. Talk about sobering. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just it's just in some ways a hopeless uh, portion in God's people's history where constraints are removed and there's no real resolution or redemption at the end of Judges. Mm-hmm. It leaves us hanging without that resolution that we desire. And as you finish the book, you're just left sitting there in an uncomfortable type of darkness and sadness. And, um, and, and you know, that's the point yeah. of the book in many ways. Would they have, um, let's see, Joshua... And into now, when they, whoever, so whoever wrote Judges, um, do we do we know who wrote Judges? We don't. Is that correct? I don't believe so. I don't believe. And then, I think from what I had been reading is that it was kind of a history that was put together and maybe finalized um, around the time of the fall to Babylon. Not positive about that because I would think to the Chronicles, you know, comes in there. And so I'm not sure Chronicles takes into account what judges and, Mm -hmm. but, um, 
I guess the, the, as far as the kingship, though, there was no king. Would that have been somebody that was maybe writing after there was a king and contrasting like, oh, well, the, when there was a king, yep. though, or would they have been sort of referencing that God was supposed to be their king as yeah. far as uh, would I, I guess where did this idea of even king come in because they had not had a king this whole time? Yes. You do get a sense as you read the book of Judges that it was written uh, at a portion in Israel's history where they would have known what kingship okay. was, okay. and they likely would have already had a king, so they could actually uh, um, look at the time in this portion of their history when Judges was written and um, and be able to measure it against what it, it looked have, like okay. when a king was uh, was actually in existence. Um, Is that a foreshadowing of King David, or is that a foreshadowing of Jesus? I mean, of King of Kings. Is I would say yes, both to both. <laughs> okay, um, and and we can certainly get there. And as we're looking at these last five chapters of the Book of Judges, that's really an appendix to the book in in many ways. And these are likely flashbacks, these last five verses showing what life was like during the time period that the whole book covered. Mm -hmm. And so once you get to these last five chapters of Judges, it's not necessarily moving in chronological order. Okay. It does work as an appendix, kind of recounting stories that might have happened throughout the entire right. uh, history. And the time period is really characterized, like we said, by everyone doing what is right in their own eyes because there was no king. A time period when Israel was wallowing in their own religious and moral mess, mm -hmm. battling not just enemies from without, but a cancer from within. Yeah. And at the end of Judges, we get a glimpse of what it looks like to function in life with no authority. Right. Um, and this is what life and society looks like when everyone does what is right in their own eyes. In reading the final few chapters of Judges, it really reminds me of a modern-day philosophy known as expressive individualism, which is probably best described with slogans that it tends to adopt, slogans like, you be you, um, be true to yourself, right. follow your heart. And expressive individualism comes and says, if I believe it's right, then I'm allowed to do it. And who in the world are you to tell me that I can't oh, yeah. or that I'm wrong? Right. And in many ways, it's really the cultural and societal waters in which we swim. And as we read the final few chapters of Judges, we come to realize it's not a new philosophy. Mm -hmm. There's nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. And just like God's people in the time of Judges were prone to live without any kind of authority in their lives beyond themselves, we are still prone to do what's right in our own eyes mm -hmm. today. Mm -hmm. And so what makes this reality even more tragic as we read the history found at the end of Judges is the fact that God's people were meant to be establishing goodness and beauty and truth in their new home. When you think about the mission they had been given, they were meant to kindle a light for God's glory that would radiate out of Canaan. Yet what we read is them giving their neighbors, instead of their holiness, instead of bringing blessing, we see them add to the misery and confusion. And it's just tragic mm -hmm. when you understand it against that backdrop. And so the end of Judges, just by way of introduction, is really meant to sober us. Uh, these chapters show us what it looks like to live without a king in our lives. Mm -hmm. And these events actually took place um, during the time of the judges. It is what happens as God's people forget him 
and live according to their own rules. Mm-hmm. And what's I, I, I mean, if, if there can be anything encouraging, though, isn't it neat, though, that how God time and again, though, does raise up a judge. Yep. I mean, at 12 kind of opportunities and and even within that, one of them a woman, a woman mm-hmm. which I think is interesting just because especially how judges ends, it seems as if it is so brutal when it comes, you know, and I guess when you talk about um, relativism and doing what is right in your own eyes, inevitably then uh, the ones that uh, especially feel the 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 weight of that the um, and unjust uh, are the weak the vulnerable mm-hmm. the weak the poor the women um, because if every they don't they're not able to assert I guess their will as much and if that and so you see this really big injustice against the very people that hopefully in a just society are meant to protect yep. right um, but with these judges I have always thought it is interesting that they have a woman judge. Um, but anyway, so that's just one of the, there's 12 judges, yep. one of them, a, a woman, Deborah. Uh, and it's interesting how women play into that whole story. I mean, not just Deborah, but, uh, who ultimately kills, is it Jael? Um, but it, it, anyway, that, that is a, uh, well, that's yep. a, it's a hard, I guess to me, the thing that stands out the most is even today, the ones that are hurt the most, lit- I guess, literally, um, killed, murdered, uh-huh. <laughs> um, destroyed. Uh, and in this case, um, I, mean, I guess read it because sure. it's hard to say it. But um, are, you know, can, are, the, are women and children, and like you said, they were meant to distinguish themselves. And, you know, when we think of the worst th- sins that the surrounding countries could have been doing, you know, we always we go to the child sacrifices that we know that they did. And, but then, and then, yes, exactly. Look at Israel and look what they become at the end of this. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what is... Is there hope? Is there hope, Michael? (laughs) Well, it's interesting you say 12 judges were raised up, and it's a a sign of God's gracious activity still uh, engaged with uh, his people. Uh, But one of the things you do notice as those 12 judges are raised up is each one gets progressively worse and worse. And that's just a feature of the text that is meant to communicate without actually explicitly communicating that over the years, things are getting worse and worse, even though God continues to raise up these judges for his people. But if you look at the last few chapters and at the end of uh, this, this study on judges, you can consider the relativism that we're all prone uh, to engage in by looking at how they disintegrate in worship in morality and in relationship. We see that when there's no king and when people do what's right in their own eyes, they worship how they want, they do what they want, and then they treat others how they want. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, that's what you see. You see people worshiping how they want in chapter 17 and 18. You see people doing what they want in chapter 19, which is a very dark, interesting chapter that I would love to talk about a little tonight if we have time. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the book, 20 and 21, you see Israel treating others how they want. Right. Because there's no king in the land and everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. It really does. I, I mean, when you, maybe it's also when you listen to it, which I was listening to, I mean, it's cha- it's pretty chaotic. It, it really bounces from just 
bad to worse to horrible to and it's um and i mm-hmm. i think in a what's what's you know i'm used to maybe seeing this but it's in a fiction book or it's in a, a movie that's you know uh, but this is this is a real this is real time in space it's not um, hard to believe that it happened because mm-hmm. I think like you said it's the it's the cancer within and I know my own heart I can I can, if I can go I mean I I know myself I know the capability and uh, if you imagine that you know times yep. a, a whole society yep. so I can imagine but also um you know this really happened these are real people this was a real time and space um and this is a people group's real history. Uh, I think it's fascinating that the Book of Judges made it into the story. I mean, if this is just, I guess, maybe a side note in terms mm-hmm. of the truthfulness of Scripture and the reliability, yep. I think Judges does serve as uh, a great, just some affirmation that this is truth. This is the good, the bad, and the ugly are all in there. Yep. Um I mean, could you imagine if we uh, were missing the book of Judges in our scriptures? Mm-hmm. While it's a difficult book to right. read and to get through, it certainly does serve a purpose in helping us understand the anthropology right. um, yes. of mankind yes. and the depravity uh, that mankind is capable of and the goodness of God, mm-hmm. even in the midst of that depravity. Uh, that we experience and that he observes. Yes. I think that actually uh, one of the ways that I think those are two. uh, One of the ways that relativism does kind of make its way into a society or even into our own hearts is because we go down that road and thinking that, oh, well, man is basically good. Uh, and so if man is basically good, then, uh, oh, sure, whatever you desire, then it's going to be okay. Or you'll ultimately make the right decision. Or you'll ultimately do the, the best thing. And judges is one big, nope. Yep. yep. <laughs> you, you won't. Uh, well, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think, you know, to, to maybe, I don't know if we need to put a bow on judges in the next few minutes. Yes, yeah, so we're about to go to a break. And so, okay. uh, and then we'll go into Ruth when we come and, back. And, but. but I'd love to, to maybe end on a note of hope okay. uh, as we wrap up judges, because one of the things that you see is that these folks are called to be a blessing to the entire world, uh, but they completely Uh, mess up. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing that God doesn't leave Israel uh, after what you read about at the end of Judges. It just seems they're they're just as wicked and wayward and pagan as the nations living around them. They've completely given up their distinctive lifestyle. Mm -hmm. They've become utterly faithless, yet God remains faithful. Mm -hmm. And what was the Lord doing in the complete mess of Judges? It seems as though he's absent. Mm -hmm. Uh, But behind the scenes, Amidst the darkness and mess, God is raising up a king. The whole point of Judges, the whole point of the Bible is not to say, look at how bad you are. You better get better. No, the point of the Bible is King Jesus telling the story of the king that we desperately need. Mm -hmm. And so what kind of king is needed to save and rescue these kind of people to save and rescue us? It's going to have to be a king that enters into the darkness. Mm -hmm. It's going to have to be a king that's more powerful, more relentless than the evil and the sin within us. It's going to have to be a king that somehow destroys evil without evil destroying us. And so God does this by coming and absorbing the evil in this world, absorbing the punishment that our sin deserves. 
And as we read the end of Judges, as we identify with God's people, we slowly begin to realize that we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve the hell that we've requested with our decisions. Mm -hmm. But our king comes and willingly takes the punishment, the hell that we deserve. He willingly lets evil destroy him so that we might walk in newness of life. Yeah. That, <laughs> there is hope. That was oh, that's beautiful. And it, and uh, and then after this book of Judges, we get a real taste of that as far as just scripture in the in the next book of Ruth. And that's what we read next uh, in the week. And that's what we'll talk about in this next segment. Um, and it, it is a, a beautiful, it's a reprieve. I always think of that uh, as the deer panteth. I don't think this is, we're into Proverbs in our wisdom and worship section. Um, so we're out of the Psalms, but a couple weeks ago we read, um, as the deer panteth after, uh, for water, so my soul longeth after you. And uh, boy, I long for Ruth after oh. after the book of Judges. And uh, and it is. He is, I think, uh, is it C.S. Lewis talks about hope as a virtue? Oh. And even in the, I, I think it's C.S. Lewis, uh, maybe it was grief, but hope um, is a, it's a, it's a virtue. We're, we're called to have hope and we can have hope um, because of the promise. Um, God still, he, he made that covenant. He made that promise. So even in, in Judges, even when it's as bleak as it is, um, he, he, he has that promise. He loves us. He is, like you said, he's going to save us, um, by taking on that, um, the beating of, and the consequences of that sin. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Michael. And we will be heading into a break. The phone number, if you do want to call in, um, we would love to hear from you. Um, 210-340-9585. If you have any questions or just any thoughts um, about Judges and Ruth, Luke, really any of Scripture. Um, again, 210-340-9585. And this is The Bible Live. I'm Stacy, sitting in for my dad, Soapy Dollar, and we have guest Michael Novak tonight. And we'll talk some more um, after the break. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that's Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to drshelton.com or call 590-7878. You Lord, you are more costly. 
listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. And welcome back to the Bible Live. I am John Harris, and I almost want to just play this song all the way, all the way through. This is Stephanie, Stephanie Bretzinger. And so true. And Well, we appreciate you uh, tuning in tonight. And if you want to be part of our discussion, our conversation, call us at 210-340-9585. And I'm going to hand it back over to Stacy, and she can do whatever she wants right now. <laughs> John, for finding that um, so this week's reading in, is that we've moved from Psalms into Proverbs, and, uh, and of course, Proverbs, that's the wisdom portion of the wisdom and worship, and uh, we read that verse, for wisdom is more profitable than silver, and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you long life in her right hand, and riches and honor in her left she will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. I've always loved uh, that verse growing up, and uh, thank you for finding that, John, and playing that. Um, we are back. Let's see the Bible live, and I have uh, our guest tonight. I'm so grateful. Talk about wisdom and wise. Uh, Michael Novak, who is a pastor here in the city of a PCA church plant on the northwest side called Trinity Grace Church. Uh, and Michael is just a very gifted pastor. He shepherds the congregation so well uh, and is a really gifted teacher. And um, so if you are listening, yes, stay stay with us. Uh, hang in there with me so that you can get to hear him <laughs> and what he says because uh, it will it'll really encourage you. And hopefully um, be just more insight and um, into the, the Lord that we worshiped, into um, the Word of God. I always love what Michael says. I almost actually opened with this, Michael, all of the Michaelisms. <laughs> My dad has some, you know, soapyisms. I'm sure he does. Yes, he does. But, Michael, you have actually made, I've, I've uh, quoted you a couple of times, and I've, I did give you credit, but I love what you always say. Um, this is God's Word, and he uh, gives it to us as, gives it to us so that because he loves us and wants us to know him. That's right. This is God's word, and he gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. And uh, I, after reading even from Proverbs, I think that's so important. After you read scripture, that's what you always say, and it is so true. He loves you out there right now if you're listening, and he wants you to know that. He wants you to know him and his love for you. And that's tough, you know, after reading a book like Judges. Um, but it's also, um, you know, in, in a way, like you said, it's it's hard, but it's not as if it's a surprise. Um, because, you know, if the book of Judges wasn't in scripture, like you said, um, I think instinctively, we might feel like we would know something's missing. It's too, it's like when you go, you know, that, oh, that's too squeaky clean, or that's mm-hmm. too. Na- I think we know, we know in our that we need a savior. We know how dark and how bleak it can get, just in our own hearts and our own mind. 
And certainly, if you multiply that times a whole nation. Um, And so it's no surprise. Judges is not a surprise, and God wasn't surprised by it either. And uh, and then we get to come to the book of of Ruth, Mm -hmm. and and we're affirmed in his um, promise of his love for us. So, Michael, if you don't mind, yep. um, talk. Let's let's uh, let's open up and talk about the book of Ruth a little bit. Yeah, a short little book, uh, okay. uh, four chapters long, um, and it takes place. Most scholars would say in the midst of the time of the judges. Wow. And so here you've got kind of a bright spot in some ways in the midst of the darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, but no matter how well you're doing in life, there are always areas of life that we would label dark, uh, areas where it's hard to know what God is doing. And that's really what the book of Ruth is all about. Um, there are places in our lives where we wonder if God is still caring for us, issues in the world where it seems like God has left the scene And it's because we all live in a world characterized by sin and sin vandalizes and destroys the goodness that God intends for us to experience. And so what are we supposed to make of our life when God seems absent? Mm -hmm. What does it look like to hold on to the promise of God even in the midst of darkness? Mm -hmm. That's what the book of Ruth addresses. How do we remain faithful even when life tastes bitter? Mm -hmm. And Ruth shows us that even when life seems dark, even when life is bitter, we can stay hopeful because God is always at work behind the scenes. Ruth reminds us that God is always orchestrating events in this world and in our life to work for our ultimate good and to bring about his redemptive purposes in this world. And to see that, you can really look at some of the main characters that we encounter on the pages of Ruth. And We can look at each character and uh, see how they uh, stay faithful and hopeful in the midst of the difficulties and the bitterness that they experience in life. Mm -hmm. And there's really three main characters on the pages of Ruth. You've got Naomi, you've got Ruth herself, and then you've got Boaz. And I think it'd be worthwhile kind of looking at each of those characters. Um, But I also don't want to take your show and, 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 and... and run, Well, I guess my question real quickly, and this is uh, in, the, in the book of Ruth, I guess I mentioned this and I was hesitant to actually say this, but maybe like me, you have thought this as well. Uh, sometimes the book of Ruth, I'll admit, I get to it, or, and maybe it's just because I'm a woman and so from the female perspective, especially when it comes to the Bible and maybe growing up, it's like, well, you've got Ruth. And Esther, okay. <laughs> those are here, and it can become a little bit cliche, or uh, and, and then yeah, it can can become a little bit cliche. Um, I, I definitely, um, I mean, boy, the the more you press into, I think just the details really help. <laughs> I, I know that sounds maybe, but. It's not a just a love story. It's not a woman kind of taking initiative and getting herself a husband. Yep. I mean, it kind of is, um, but it's so much more than that. It really is so rich, and like you said, I guess taking a look at these different characters, not just what's on, but but even a, about them. I mean, Naomi, where they're from, yep. Bethlehem. I think it's fascinating. I believe this is the first time in all of Scripture that we've heard Bethlehem. So here's this little old. House of bread is what Bethlehem means. And I guess, ironically, there is a famine at the house of bread in this Bethlehem town. And so that's initially why Naomi and Orpah, 
Am I uh, pronouncing? Is that, is that uh, her husband? Naomi and, and her husband, Elimelech. Oh, Elimelech. Yep. That's right. I'm so sorry. Right. Elimelech. Uh, which you think would be harder to say than Orpha. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm, somehow I got that one right. Um, so Naomi and Elimelech leave. And this was always, uh, um, you know, up until this point, God had put such an emphasis, though, on not associating with those outside of Canaan. Um, and you almost get this sense of sort of this ethnic tension. Um, in Joshua, there's this almost ethnic cleansing tension. And, and your wife and Rachel and I actually talked about that when we were in Joshua and how it is clearly it, it is not. I mean, that is not what is happening in Joshua, but it can feel like that sometimes when yep. you're reading. Um, so it's really just right off so interesting to me that they leave the land it also kind of reminds me of egypt and joseph and Mm -hmm. uh and jacob and the sons leaving to go to egypt well so they leave and they go into moab uh who would have been outside of canaan Mm -hmm. and uh and then they sons and they marry and then those sons die uh, and so then it's just the Ruth and her sister-in-law are left, and the, and Elimelech yep. dies. Yep. So it's Naomi and her two daughters, daughter-in-law. Yep. Daughters-in-law. Yeah, <laughs> Daughter that's in-law. right. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't know if I that, but I guess um, making it more. Um, I mean, this is a full story uh-huh. with a lot of context. Yeah. And it's so rich, and uh, especially up against the scene of Judges. And so let's do, dive in a yeah, little bit Yeah, and, and a lot of small details that, that make the story even more rich. I mean, Naomi's name literally right. means pleasant. And yeah. as you mentioned, the story begins in chapter 1 with Naomi leaving Bethlehem in the land of Israel and moving to the land of Moab due to a famine. And Naomi moves to Moab with her husband and her two sons in search of food. And Naomi's husband is named Elimelech, like you said, which literally means God is king, which means we're given reason to believe that this family was faithful to the Lord, even in the days when the judges ruled Israel, even when much of the rest of Israel was doing right in their own eyes. This family still believed that God was king. Elimelech and Naomi were following the Lord, Naomi even expressing deep belief and trust in his goodness and promises throughout the book of Ruth. And the fact that Naomi is faithful and devoted makes the heartache and the tragedy that she experiences in life even more mysterious and difficult. I mean, the first chapter of Ruth is a hard chapter to read as well. Why would God send such grief and difficulty to someone seeking to follow God faithfully in a faithless culture? Well, while Naomi's family is sojourning in Moab, her husband Elimelech dies on foreign soil. We're not told why or how, just that he's gone. And she's left with two sons, and her two sons take Moabite wives, like you mentioned, Orpah and Ruth, which must have been painful for Naomi Mm -hmm. uh, since Moabites worshipped other gods. And after living in Moab for 10 years, trying to survive, Naomi also loses her two sons. And so it's sorrow upon sorrow. They're dead and they leave behind a woman without any husband or any sons to care for Mm. and protect her. And so here we are left with three women who are childless Mm. and they're likely barren after living for 10 years with husbands and not having children. Mm. And that would have been devastating that culture, much like it's devastating today for so many families. In that culture, it was devastating, though, because the measure of a woman's worth was to have children. 
Well, if we stop and consider these first five verses of the story, uh, have enough heartache for a lifetime. I mean, yeah. famine forces Naomi from her home and her land. She loses her husband. She buries her two children. She's old. She's well past childbearing age. Her life is basically over. And so she's left without any protection or hope for the future. And there are widows. And then there's Naomi. I mean, she is left all alone. And so, so Naomi makes her way back to Bethlehem to her people. She comes back to property that was no longer there, part of the story. Okay. She returns a broken woman. Um, and in fact, she comes back uh, and she's so grief stricken that people don't recognize her. They actually ask, where is Naomi? And she responds, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Oh. And Mara means bitterness. And so Naomi's life goes from pleasant mm. to bitter. Mm -hmm. And Naomi had experienced six traumas by my count in 10 years. Right. And by all appearances, it looked like God had abandoned her. It certainly felt that way to her. She can't see anything good in her life. All she sees is pain. She's bitter in soul. She's empty. It seems as though she had nothing left. Mm. But she did have Ruth, who's the next character. <laughs> See, that's so much, so much more, uh, I don't know if exciting, but rich and full. Speaking of uh, what a beautiful, I mean, it really is a beautiful story. And, um, yep. and what Ruth means. Now, at this point, a quick question. Do we know what tribe Naomi is? Do we, is, I don't, I don't remember reading that well uh would it have been judah because of uh, i mean as far as the lineage we know that boaz you, yep. know, of course, you would make that you would make that connection to uh, david because in, to, in matthew's mm -hmm. genealogy um ruth is is listed mm -hmm. um as a mother of jesus right. sorry was that was i skipping ahead was that oh the no <laughs> no okay. no um Okay, so probably the check. Well, it, you know, I mean, who knows? But in the context of judges, um, and like you said, we don't know what God is is doing. And who knows though that they're them being absent and out of Israel at that time. I mean, might have saved her life actually, or sure. you just never, you know. I guess yes, you just never quite know. Um, but then you have this sweet, uh, this, this Ruth yep. who we assume, you know, God had told them not to marry outside of uh -huh. Israel. Um, so we don't know if they were disobedient. I don't get the sense that right, they were being disobedient in marrying Moabite women which would leave then that Ruth, uh, at, the least, at the very least, was already at that point Godward. I mean, that she was seeking in the, at the, and, and con converted, I mean, for all, uh, to um, worshiping Yahweh. Yeah, potentially. Now, I will say that when you read the Old Testament, one of the important things to remember when you're reading narrative is that moral commentary is not included. Commentary out. And you've got to go to other portions of the scriptures to learn whether or not they were moral or immoral. And so you might say that if Ruth was a worshiper of Yahweh at the time, then that would have been a moral, obedient decision. 
But if she was not, then they would have been engaged in disobedience, which was not unusual by any stretch of the imagination. But it is an interesting thing because there had been such a, I mean, the opening of uh, Joshua, well, not the opening, but as you get into Joshua, their intermarrying, marrying other was one of the, I mean, that sets them up, and that's kind mm-hmm. of the foreshadowing of this isn't going to go well. And that was one of the main problems that they were encountering as far as. And so it's, it is kind of an, an interesting, I mean, amazing how, yep. um, well, just how, how God functions and, and how he uses um, us even, even in an area where we're not, um, yep. where we're not um, obeying or we're not. Um, succeeding, I guess, sure. and but cont- okay, no, please. but you do get a sense. I like where you're going, Stacy. You do get a sense that Ruth eventually does come to know For Yahweh, sure, right. the God of Israel, right. because she refuses to stay in Moab. Um, Naomi says, "Stay in Moab to to Orpah and to Ruth," and Orpah does stay in Moab, but Ruth refuses to leave Naomi's side. And in verses 16 and 17, Ruth says likely the most famous lines in the entire book. Mm-hmm. When she says, do know, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts me from you. And so why does Ruth do this? She's got no prospects in Judah. Um, In fact, she'd likely be in danger of abuse due to the fact that she was a foreigner and a woman without a husband. Moabites were enemies of Israelites. They were despised. They weren't allowed into the temple of God. It really makes no sense that Ruth would follow Naomi back to Judah. So how did Ruth become such a remarkable daughter-in-law and friend? What motivated Ruth Mm -hmm. to follow Naomi to Bethlehem? And maybe you noticed in verses 16 and 17 that Ruth makes a commitment to follow Naomi's God. We just read about it. And she even uses in those verses God's personal covenant name, Yahweh. And so what we see from Ruth in these verses is what you might call conversion. Mm -hmm. Ruth, who was a Moabite, has placed her faith in God. Mm -hmm. She's come to believe in Yahweh, the God of Israel. She forsakes the gods of Moab and chooses to throw her lot in with Naomi's God. She wants to be with Yahweh. And the next question you've got to ask, and this is a principle that we can draw from Ruth, is what attracted Ruth to Naomi's God? Mm -hmm. Well, we're kind of reading between the lines a little bit, but you've got to believe that it had something to do with the love and care Naomi showed to Ruth. Ruth knew that Naomi loved her, cared for her, wanted what was best for her. And after Ruth experienced that kind of love, the selfless love of Naomi, she wants the God of Naomi to be her God as well. Mm. I love, too, the language is so covenant-like. Uh, and so you also wonder if, I mean, just the example of Naomi and Elimelech's marriage, or even maybe her marriage uh, before um, her, uh, what is her, I can't remember who which one Ruth is married to, but, mm-hmm. um, and you know, marriage can be such an image, such a picture of God's, you know, relationship with us and that covenant. And one of the most beautiful things out of marriage is creation, procreation, creation, mm-hmm. children, and within marriage, children. But in, uh, with, with a God who is, when you have, I guess, two people truly committed to one another, um, even if everything else seems bleak and desperate and dark, um, just 
it just shows what hope yep. of creation and creativity um, a loving relationship can offer. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, I in that Ruth word, but, and hopefully that is how we. You know, as Christians in the church, they will know that we are Christians by our love, by our right. Mm-hmm. That uh, um, hopefully that is what you know is attractive in us yep. to the world, uh, to a watching world. John thirteen: mm-hmm. By this, all people yes. will know that you are my disciples oh. if you have love for one another. Right, and Naomi certainly did and, and showed that. Okay, so then mm-hmm. we've got about uh, five minutes, maybe till our next break. So how yep. how would you? Where Looks did like it go? Oh, three minutes. Three minutes. <laughs> And so, no, it's okay. Well, you know, um, Ruth comes back to Judah and she begins to make ends meet for herself and her mother-in-law by gleaning from the fields in Judah, Mm -hmm. meaning she would walk behind the harvesters and pick up what was left behind. And this was was not uncommon in that culture, Um, but it wasn't a fun job. Mm -hmm. Um, Gleaners were considered the very lowest of the field servants, and they would be vulnerable to abuse and ill treatment. Mm -hmm. And so it was the only way Ruth could make ends meet. And it just so happens, you know, you could put that in air quotes, (laughs) that she finds herself in the field of a man named Strated by God's hand, that Ruth finds herself in Boaz's field. Um, But this is uh, this is good enough where I don't know if we want to come back and, and wrap up Boaz after a break. It's worth, it's probably worthy of more than sure. two minutes, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but this is a, this is a sweet part. I must admit this is a little bit of a hard, uh, yeah, I'm, I'll be really curious. Um, this is, you know, Ken, Kinsman Redeemer. Yeah. This is the scene where she goes to the threshing floor mm-hmm. and lays down next to It's a little to, risque. Oh, yeah. yeah. We'll, you don't we'll quite talk about know that what for to a minute. make from that. But um, before we go, I will say, uh, Stacy, I love how you mentioned verses 16 and 17 sound so covenantal mm-hmm. because oftentimes you read those verses around weddings themselves. Right. And it might be one of those verses that is taking out of con- taken out of context in some ways when you actually read who was saying it to who. Uh, but it doesn't negate the fact that it's still... Uh, portrays and rates. And you have to wonder if that might have been a novelty thing. I mean, you know, we, we talk about Israel not living up to who they're meant to be in the watching world at this time. But Naomi, here in this and just this little family uh, where there's a lot of grief, maybe in their small way, they are living up to that. And probably one of the defining characteristics of God's people is that they are their whole life is sustained by the promise that they have with God. They live a very promise, promise filled life (laughs) and not by their being able to keep their end of it, but out of a joy and out of the grace that comes from God, knowing that God is faithful and is keeping his end of it. Um, and so maybe uh, Ruth, had, which I would say is maybe where people find ourselves today, um, you know, when it is a kind of a relativistic doing what's right in your own eyes, you, you promises are often broken and that, um, and that is hard. So, you know, maybe just the very small or what you might think is a small thing of just keeping your word or being faithful or being a loyal, good friend to somebody might I mean, who knows what influence that is having and how that's encouraging somebody, um, a brother or sister in the Lord, or somebody that's even just, you know, looking on and saying, I want that. 
I want to, I think of marriages especially, just what a ministry, just um, being faithful in your marriage um, has. Well, that is our music. John, thank you so much. It's beautiful music as always. <laughs> we'll listen to this a little bit before we go to our break, and then we'll come back and continue. We'll wrap up with the Book of Ruth and look at, uh, and then go to the to the Gospels, to Luke. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Um, again, 210-340-9585. This is The Bible Live, and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Bible Live with Sophie in Dollar. Trouble, he's my comfort. In trouble, he's my stay. He tells me every care on him to roll. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. Welcome back. This is the Bible Live Quiz Hour, and I'm John Harrison, and that's Jerry Lee Lewis right there, the Lilies of the Valley. And uh, you can be part of the conversation. Conversation is really simple. Just pick up the phone and call us at area code 210-340-9585. 340-9585. And now here's Stacy. Thanks, John. Well, I, you know, I like hearing this kind of stuff. You know, when people like Elvis and Rick Nelson and know, Jerry Lee so did did gospel music, yes. there's just something about it. You always do so good with the songs. Thank you. That is Jerry Lewis. Wow. Um, well, we are right. We're right at that. We're at the exciting part of the story. <laughs> we <laughs> cut to a break. Did we leave you hanging? Or are you? Yeah. Uh, so we're back. We're this is the Bible Live, and yes, we've been talking about story of Ruth. And uh, so here she is. She's back in uh, Bethlehem uh-huh. with Naomi and she's going to this field and she's working and it happens to be this man, Boaz. Yep. And who is Boaz, Michael? Well, Boaz is depicted as a noble man in the book of Ruth. Mm-hmm. And like we mentioned earlier, this stands out because noble, faithful, godly men were few and far between mm-hmm. at this point in Israel's history. And Boaz had likely heard about Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her character. And so Boaz decides that he wants to take it upon himself to make sure that Ruth is cared for 
that she stays safe and that she has what she needs. Mm. And so he directs, you know, the workers of his field to, to leave um, uh, crops so that she can glean uh, mm-hmm. even more than she normally would be able to and to keep her safe and to watch out for her. And eventually Ruth comes to find out from Naomi that Boaz is actually a distant member of their family. And this is key. He's a relative of Naomi, and now he's a relative of Ruth. And this meant that he was what's known as a kinsman redeemer. And um, you might be wondering, what in the world is a kinsman redeemer according to Israelite custom and culture? And me and Stacy are glad that you asked. <laughs> um, That's right. When we highlighted the fact that Naomi would have returned to nothing because she would have sold her land to make ends meet before she left for Moab as an immigrant, well, that land was not gone forever. She still had a claim on that property. And if Naomi could find a relative in that day and age that was willing to buy that property back for her, then she could have her property back. And and what's more, a kinsman redeemer also had the option and even the duty to care for a childless widow by taking her as a wife and providing kids and a family for her. Mm -hmm. And so knowing this information, that Boaz is their kinsman redeemer, Naomi encourages Ruth to do something completely unorthodox, you might say, and risky. And you read about it at the beginning of chapter three, and it's worth reading. You see it when Naomi says to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he was winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And that is a bit strange. (laughs) Ruth went to entice Boaz. Mm. It would have been evident why Ruth was there in his sleeping place looking and smelling so nice, you might Mm. say. Um, And it's pretty incredible when you think about it. Ruth is a risk-taking woman, a widowed Moabite from a much lower social class, goes to Boaz and basically asks him to marry her. That's what she would have been doing, is saying, I want you to marry me. Mm -hmm. And Ruth wants Boaz to redeem her family's land and provide children for her. And as the story goes, there's one man who is closer in relationship at the time. And so Boaz, being a righteous man, goes to him first to offer him the first right of refusal. Boaz is a nice guy. (laughs) He is. And you get a sense he's interested. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, this man is excited about redeeming the land, but when he hears about having to provide children for Ruth, he takes a hard pass, you might say, which leaves the door wide open for Boaz, Mm -hmm. who proceeds to marry Ruth, to redeem her family's land, and to have children together. And by chapter four of the story, Naomi, who begins the story full of bitterness, having lost everything, is sitting with a grandson in her lap. And you have to think with a smile on her face. And I mean... What a beautiful story. One of the most beautifully crafted stories in all the Bible. It's one that subverts traditional expectations. And it's through this family that God is working to bring salvation to the world. Because Ruth is the great, great, great grandmother of Jesus himself. The salvation of the whole world 
comes from a Moabite woman Mm -hmm. who just happened (laughs) to stick with her destitute Mm mother-in-law and just happened Mm -hmm. to stumble upon the field of Boaz. Mm -hmm. And what you get the sense of is that nothing is wasted in this story. I mean, God was at work doing a thousand different things, even though no one could see it in the moment. I mean, how could they? Mm-hmm. Uh, they couldn't even look down. The, they couldn't look down the corridor of time. And, and so um, this is really a story of God's work, a story of his long providence in mm-hmm. people's lives. It's a story that's meant to lead us to Jesus, which Matthew literally does in his genealogy. And as we follow the life of Jesus, we see that he is one who takes on the family characteristics, one who can empathize with Naomi because he comes to taste our bitterness Mm -hmm. and the wreckage that sin has caused firsthand. He's one who understands Ruth because he leaves his home for another land so that he might care for his family. He's one who follows in Boaz's footsteps playing the role of our great kinsman redeemer, buying us back and making us his own. And because we have Jesus, we can be patient and hopeful even in the midst of the disappointment and bitterness we experience. We can hold on. Jesus doesn't make life easier, but he does make holding on to God's promises possible. And one day we will see what he's Mm -hmm. been up to. One day we will know that God's kindness hasn't failed us. Mm -hmm. But it might take time. Right, right. Which is, I mean, I guess maybe back to that idea of hope as a virtue. Um, and I guess for it to be a virtue, it would be um, because you are hopeful. Maybe it's because it's it's not so much about us. <laughs> it's about um, having what we have our hope in. Um, and uh, I guess if it's something... That in uh, in that thing that we would be having hope in would be faithful. Uh, I think of it. It's not so much about the what is that quote? It's not about um, how the strength the of strength. your faith, but the object of Thank your faith. You. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, and so maybe that's the idea of hope um, as a virtue, and it also uh, not only the object of our faith, but on what grounds do we have a relationship with the object of that faith? And that goes back to that covenant. I mean, it goes back to that, that promise. Um, and I also love the idea with the kinsman redeemer. It's the, it's a family. It's, um, it's a, ah, oh, it's interesting. It's a, it's a strength of the family at the same time. Um, it is, well, in this case, it would have been marriage, I guess, was um, because they were relative. But marriage is the way that you increase family. Um, and marriage is the means. I think those are just the, kind of all over the place a little bit. But those are the things that stand out to me is Ruth has, I think, a particular um, bent towards promises. I think she has seen promises being kept and it is so attractive to her that she doesn't want to just, you know, sleep with Boaz. And, mm-hmm. and she wants him to marry her. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't want to make money any other ways and become, des- you know, des- she wants marriage. She wants uh, that relationship. Um, and she wants to expand that relationship with family. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't I. uh, And the hope, yeah, I don't know. Those things, hope (laughs) as a virtue, promise-keeping, and uh, and marriage, that seems to tie in to me um, 
and the themes that lead us to then you know the, ultimately I guess where we're going next and so maybe this is the good segue to Luke yeah um, I think the other thing that's very interesting is um, yeah Ruth is not an Israelite I mean, she is a, a Moabite uh-huh. um, Luke not Jewish he is not uh, he's a Gentile he's Greek um, and I think that is also just a beautiful as far as um, tying in you know and how God's people bring in into the family um, God is it is not it never was about yep. an ethnicity yeah. <laughs> it is about a people that are grafted and people that um, into the family of God into his family yeah. um, in, in fact in in Genesis uh, chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 you you get the mission statement for God's people it's I'm gonna bless you so that you can bless the nations mm-hmm. That's and right. you actually get hints of that through the Old Testament, mm-hmm. uh, it should have been happening a lot more than it was. Right. You know, Israel wasn't accomplishing the mission that they'd been given by God to be a light to the nations. Uh, but you get hints of it like in Ruth and, mm-hmm. and now once again in Luke where folks that were not a part of God's people are brought into God's people um, through faith. Uh, I'm going to, if you don't mind, I've read this every uh, Sunday since Dad has not been with us, and I'm going to do it one more time because now it's tradition. Um, but I, I do, I think this is, especially as we go and transition from the book of Ruth into Luke here, um, Luke over and again really emphasize and profiles Jesus uh, as the son of man. So just Jesus's humanity. I mean, and uh, I think that's why he you know, traces his genealogy back to Adam and just, he is, he is fully human. He is God, but he is also human. Um, and this was a poem that, uh, my dad wrote in huh. 1982, which is a great, wonderful year. It's the year I was born as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he titled this, um, Jesus, perfect man of faith. Uh, and he took this, I wrote this from just the John one fourteen. the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And so uh, he wrote this as he was really meditating and thinking about how God, why he and how he could God become man. The word became flesh. How could it be from creator to creature? It's too much for me. Can high become low? Can day be night? My mind finds no answer. My reason takes flight. Then, yes, my son, he says to me, the answer is so simple even you must see, though once you opposed me, opposites were not. Unless you cease to be a man, in my image you are caught. But you, being less and lower to most and highest, never can. By leaving off and stepping down, though, I became a man. Lord, what you did is clear now, but I'll never know just why. You left your throne and all that means to work, sweat, hunger, thirst, and die. Why would you join our race of tears? We're either too distraught to rise or gorged with pride and selfish cares, lust of flesh and eyes. The answer again is a simple one, though no, though not perhaps to your mind. For love is the reason I took on flesh. And left my throne behind. In your midst I dwelt because I chose to care. Behold the Father's glory and in that glory share. For not only then but now it continues to be true. 
When you before your Savior bow, the Word becomes flesh in you. I just think mm. that's such a, um, it, it, ra- I think it, it ties it all in. Mm. <laughs> I think that that's uh, our call to be that light and to love to a watching world. Um, but it's so impossible to do on our own. It has to be by the work of, um, of the Word in our lives. And I think that's really the motivation and why Dad uh, um, first wanted to do this program is because it is the, the book of all books. It is God's word to us, and it does. It changes um, changes us and um, and just mm-hmm. gives us all the tools to, to be able to live and to be a light. Yep. And on that note, Well, Luke. I'll say, I'll okay. say one thing, too. Um, when you asked me to be on the program, I was very honored because of knowing Soapy and hearing people just randomly having listened to this program for many years and then also thinking about the impact that your dad has had on thousands of people around the world due to his ministry there at the Air Force Base mm-hmm. and... Um, how sad it is that we can't have him here, but how honored we're here to be yeah. in his stead. But it's just big, big, big shoes that will <laughs> never be filled. Um, and the, the the best name in all of San Antonio, too, <laughs> Soapy right. Dollar. Right. Um, and so we love you, Soapy, and, and are praying for you for sure. Thank you so much for that, Michael. It's, it's uh, the Soapy Dollar. I have found you always would say if somebody asks him, in his name on the phone, soapy like a bar of soap, dollar like a dollar bill. <laughs> and I found myself, I was telling somebody dad's name or something, soapy like a bar of soap <laughs> with a Y and like dollar like a dollar bill. But yes, we do miss you, dad. But that was Thank a beautiful poem written yes, by your dad. wasn't that? That was, uh, I thought so too. I don't know. Think he's written, he, you need to write more, dad. Um, that was so beautiful. But here we are now in uh, Luke, one of, uh, one of my favorite um, passages uh, because it's, Christmas, <laughs> Luke chapter two. I, I associate Luke chapter two with every Christmas. Um, Luke is fascinating. He is a Greek, um, we believe. He's a Gentile. One of the, I guess he's the only gospel uh, writer that is Gentile. He's a doctor, um, and uh, let's see. He of all of the gospels, Luke has. The most uh, chapters that are not in the other Gospels, I believe. I can't remember. I think it's 9 through 18 that are unique just to Luke's Gospel. He's, And maybe that's very, um, he is a doctor, very detail-oriented. The names, the dates are all very important to him. Uh, Maybe it's his Greek background and the doctor background. But um, Luke is fascinating. Grateful for him, grateful for his writing. What do you? Um, yeah. What was exciting to you? I guess in these, we didn't read all of Luke. We only, I think, got through chapter uh, uh-huh. eight. Um, what stands? Well, one of the things that you? stands out to me, and this is the first part of a two-part series. Luke also writes the book of Acts, oh, and he was right. a colleague yes. of Paul, and so he would have um, received eyewitness account from Paul and and crafting his writings. And it is interesting, uh, the prodigal, uh, the parable of the prodigal son and the parable of the Good Samaritans only found in Luke, Luke. two of the best uh, parables uh, that that, uh, are most loved. But Mm -hmm. I love the first four verses 
um, where Luke starts by saying, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. It's so Luke. <laughs> that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And, oh, yeah. and the thing that stands out from the very beginning is that this is a historical document. Right. These are events that took place in real time and real space mm-hmm. that were observed by eyewitnesses mm-hmm. that passed on oral accounts to different people that wrote them down so that we might have them in our hands today. And that doesn't mean that these accounts are unbiased. Any account that you read has a bias to it. Every author that writes has a purpose for writing. John even gives us his purpose at the end of his gospel. He writes so that we might come to know that Jesus is the Son of God. And so they're not hiding their cards. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the fact that, that this is, I just think that it's very important for us to constantly remind ourselves that the scriptures we have sitting on our laps on our desks are reliable historical eyewitness accounts, and oftentimes we can overlook that to our own detriment. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of maybe just a love for history, but to to me that is one of the most exciting things about the Bible is, I mean, it tells us our story. I mean, it it really, and if you are a, I mean, it, it's really all of humanity's, it, all of our story. Um, but how exciting, and I love that it's the genealogies and it's the family. And if you are part of that family, this is your family history. I mean, this is, um, these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the story of, uh, and of, of his time here. And, uh, yeah, that is, uh, very exciting. I think that's one of the things dad actually does talk about a little bit on the readings from this past week is just that reminder that this is, uh, real, this is real time and space. This is reality. This isn't, uh, um, you know, fiction and, and made up. it's, uh, it, which is great. And Luke, um, thank you. I mean, I, I look forward to seeing him someday <laughs> to thank him in person because, uh, what an account he, it is. He does a great job. Um, and I think the, uh, the emphasis, I think he is one of the, he, he, uh, writes, distinctively about Jesus and his humanity. So son of man is what he, uh, I think the phrase that he uses often. And he also talks more than any of the others or brings in the women, um, Mary Magdalene, Susanna, uh, and talks, uh, brings them and into the, and, and writes, I guess more about their story and then the interaction there. Um, I guess what else about in Luke also, he talks about, it does come up Redeemer. I can't remember which I thought was just fascinating with the tie. And of course, there's that, that singular, that vision of, and well, maybe this is what it is, is Luke was not Jewish. I mean, and I don't know that he would have necessarily known the Hebrew scriptures. Um, certainly not like Matthew or like the counterparts, um, certainly not like Paul would have. Um, so it is, I think, especially interesting to hear and read this account of Messiah without having necessarily known these, you know, 
hundreds and hundreds of years history of looking forward towards to the Messiah. Um, and so, it's, you know, he might have written Redeemer, but has no necessarily understanding of what that was like in, in Hebrew mm-hmm. customs. Um, but that maybe that's the application. I mean, it is a God's word and what he was doing was never just for one culture. It was cross all culture. It was for the human condition, universal, and it certainly universally applies. I cannot believe our time is up. I can't believe I talked no. and took away from Michael there is, because he's so wonderful. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in. We will um, finish up the book of Luke this week, and uh, and I think, well, hopefully we'll see what next weekend's like. I hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next weekend. See you. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.